What's up there, guys? Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. This week's podcast, of course, you can rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Leave me a review and a rating, and I will send you a koozie. All you got to do is screenshot your review and the rating. Email it to me, Pete Mundo at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. And a lot of you guys are doing it, taking me up on the offer. I appreciate it. You get the free koozie in the mail right after it. So enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Safeties drop really deep. Handoff Sermon over the left side. Big hole. 30. First down. 25. 20. Breaks a tackle. 15. 10. 5. The minister is into the end zone. Preach. Mason takes the ball. Fakes a handoff. Fires over the middle. It's caught by Aitman. And he takes it into the end zone. He juggled it for a moment, but got it back. Pistols firing. Touchdown, Oklahoma State. Marcel Aitman. There's more to us than that. Two receivers left, one right. Quarterback keeper here, 30-yard line, Jesse 25-20, 15-10-5 to the goal line, touchdown! 35 yards on the run for Jesse Ertz. Turpin in motion, they fake to him, hand to Hicks, he'll walk in and score! Hit the horn with 7.39 to play in the second quarter, and the Horn Frogs now go up 13-7 in advance. 2,000 country stations, yeah, we're one big country nation, that's right. So it's really that time of year, if you're a college football fan, you are like dying, absolutely dying for anything, any kind of news. And uh, we're doing the best to kind of keep you covered on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Welcome on in. I'm Pete Mundo. It is great to be here with you each and every week as we all salivate over these next three and a half months for some type of action in college football. So, you know, I'm sitting around, I'm trying to figure out how to best pass the time and and how to get you some content. So with the news last week that Adam Schefter, uh, his podcast, he had Lincoln Riley on it, and Riley told Schefter that he's not interested in the NFL, but quote-unquote, never say never. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, here's a semi-interesting article that I think people can agree on, debate, and discuss, and that's... um, Who in the Big 12 would be the best head coach in the NFL? So I had some fun with this, and here's what I gave you. Matt Rule coming off the top, Lincoln Riley number two. Then I went into Gary Patterson, Cliff Kingsbury, Tom Herman at five, Matt Campbell at six, Mike Gundy at seven, Dana Holgerson at eight, Bill Snyder at nine, and David Beatty down around 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 25 whatever you want it to be. But, but let me uh, let me dive into this real quick as um, I appreciate you guys joining us as always. And Matt Rule, number one, I have him as the Big 12 coach that would make the best NFL coach because he's the guy with NFL experience. Spent time under Tom Coughlin with the New York Giants, great pedigree, was targeted by the Indianapolis Colts this offseason, even though Baylor won a single game last year. That's a lot of respect. When you win one game at the college level and then you go out there and you get uh, looks for the NFL, it's a heck of a job. So Matt Rule won. Lincoln Riley, I think, has the perfect temperament at two um, to if he has a lot of success by the age of 40, you know, wins a national championship or two. I could see him bolting. I could. I could see him wanting a new challenge. On top of that, you think about Lincoln Riley's offense, and there are a lot of reports this offseason that NFL coaches are diving headfirst into Lincoln Riley's offense and trying to implement parts of it. Gary Patterson, three. 
I think that's fairly self-explanatory. A lot of respect. Uh, I do worry that he would be too gruff for some NFL players, but he might soften a little bit over time. Cliff Kingsbury at four might surprise you, but Cliff Kingsbury has a great background in terms of coaching. Now, he hasn't had a ton of success, but he has a really good background in terms of his father uh, working his way up through a couple of systems, great offensive mind, and he's more of a disciplinarian than people give him credit for. If he got a decent coordinator in the NFL, defensive coordinator in the NFL, I think he could actually have some success. Tom Herman, solid, um, too rigid. Also, he would not handle the press well. I mean, he barely handles the softball media in Austin well. Imagine him in Philadelphia, New York, or Boston. I couldn't. Matt Campbell, up-and-comer, I, I think he could rise up this w- list quickly at six. Mike Gundy and Dana Holgerson I have at seven and eight in terms of uh, coaches who could succeed in the NFL. And I think they're out of the same mold. Mike Gundy and Dana Holgerson are perfect college coaches. They are meant for the college game. They are meant for Stillwater, Oklahoma, meant for Morgantown, West Virginia. Quirky, eccentric, perfect fits for where they are. I don't think it translates to the next level. Bill Snyder, 15 years ago, I have higher on the list, but in his late 70s, I can't justify Bill Snyder having success right now in the NFL. And uh, uh, David Beatty, a 10. I mean, uh, uh, is that enough? Are you good there? All right. So this is the kind of year, one time of year, once again, when we've got to will you through to get you ready for college football. Now, we are going to continue to dive into the baseball side of things. Uh, Cam Brock, our own Cam Brock, who covers baseball in the Big 12 as well as anybody, will be joining us throughout the next couple of weeks as we get closer towards postseason play. Matthew Postins is going to be with us coming up next. He, of course, um, covers our football, but heavily into the basketball scene in the Big 12, does a great job with that. What I also want to get into here is the fact that the Big 12 has three of the top 10 highest paid athletic directors in the nation. Now, some of you guys are going to sit there and say, this is ridiculous. I cannot believe that the Big 12 is paying Kirby Hocutt, Chris Del Conte, and Joe Castiglione, that's Texas Tech, Texas, and Oklahoma, well over $1.1 million each. Why are they doing it? What's the point? Remember this. College football and college athletics in general is big business. Really big business. And like we say time and time again in the SEC, the SEC has been bumping up salaries. They have million-dollar-a-year coordinators all over the SEC. The Big 12 has a couple. Like I think Mike Stoops is pushing up there. Um, And probably I think Todd Orlando's up there now. But the SEC has several coordinators making a million-plus bucks. And as much as we knock the SEC rightfully so for what a joke they are of a conference and in terms of how the, uh, how the ESPN just absolutely loves them to death, it's a top-heavy conference, and some of those teams throw so much money at coaches and coordinators, and they have little to nothing to show for it. They do put their money where their mouth is. Now, they don't invest it wisely all the time, and they overspend a lot of times, but they at least spend it. They bring in a ton of money, but they spend a ton of money. And it's the old saying, sometimes you got to spend money to make money. So I give them credit for that. And the Big 12, having three of the top 10 highest paid athletic directors, leads me to believe that at least the conference is putting its money where its mouth is when it comes to ADs. I think Joe Castiglione has earned being a top 10 guy. Chris Del Conte, 
I know he hasn't done anything at Texas, but to pull him away from TCU, you got to pay him. It's free market. It's supply and demand. For 1.2 or 1.1 million, Chris Del Conte might have said thanks, but no thanks. But if Texas wanted him that bad, and based on what Del Conte has done in terms of uh, building up football, basketball, uh, helping those programs and all programs at TCU grow and expand, he's worth that kind of money. Kirby Hocutt, uh, you know, he earned Athletic Director of the Year Award in 2018, so he's certainly worth something. And what the basketball program has done under Chris Beard has been in very impressive. You can say Tech right now is a basketball school and still figuring out their way on the football side of things. That's a nice way to put it. We'll see how that plays out, which, of course, you know, Texas Tech fans can sit there and say, hey, we love our basketball team. Let's be honest. If push came to shove and these two and that fan base could decide, hey, we either want a great football team or a great basketball team, guarantee a 9 out of 10 would say football. Just my hunch. So I, don't be upset when you say, oh, these Kirby Hocutt's overpaid. Joe Castiglione's over. No. Paying what the market will bear. And you know what? To keep these guys, keeping both, all these athletic programs and these departments in the um, trending in the right direction, let them keep making their money. You don't want these guys going to the SEC. I think Chris Del Conte might be the best AD in America. And if, it continue, if he can continue to build Texas like he did TCU— Watch out in a big way. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly. Now, the lowest paid AD in the Big 12, you guessed it, the program that does the most with the least, that's Kansas State's Gene Taylor. Guy makes half a million bucks a year. It's pretty amazing. That is, uh, that's getting a steal. It's getting an absolute steal. But that's what K-State does. They steal you. They rob you blind. They do a heck of a job at it. Coming up next, let's dive into what's going on here with the uh, gambling issue, the Supreme Court's decision, and what that means for college football in the Big 12, and if it's really a good thing. We'll get to it next. So we just had a really good conversation with Matthew Postens, who you uh, will read and hear right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. He does a fantastic job for us on the football side, also uh, really big into the hoops as well. So he's as good as it gets at what he does, and we appreciate him. But he brought up a really interesting point in conversation about what this new sports gambling bill and law means for college athletics. Well, what we heard time and time again throughout the Daily Fantasy debate was that it was taken away. If you played Daily Fantasy up to, I think, 2015 was the final season, you could play with college. And that's what I love doing. I mean, you could put together a fantasy college team, and it really forced you to think. Because when you play Daily Fantasy in college, and and you can go find the quarterback at North Texas, who only you know about, who's going to have a big game, and is super cheap, it's a lot of fun. I think it's a lot more fun than the NFL or the NBA. Because you can actually do research that can um, help your cause. You know, the NBA and the NFL is everyone's picking the same guys, right? It's just who has the best combination. At the college level with Daily Fantasy, you could do your homework and win. And I loved it. But then they got rid of it because of the morality reason, the idea being that, hey, we don't really want uh, guys that are, you know, kids essentially and student athletes tied up in Daily Fantasy and people bothering them and, and being having that be a daily part of their lives. And I understand that. I do. 
But when it comes to now sports gambling at the college level and how this is all going to be affected, I find it to be very strange, but it's going to move forward. And I'm telling you, before long, you are going to see advertisements from casinos tied directly to college football and college basketball teams. There's no doubt in my mind that that is going to happen, and that is coming, and here's why. Because money talks. Why do you think so many college stadiums and arenas are now selling booze? It was this big thing that we cannot sell booze at college events. Can't do it. It's not good for the kids. Then it's like, wait, we can make millions of dollars selling Coors Lights and Bud Lights and Corona Lights to people at our games? We can put millions of more dollars in our back pockets? Yeah, that whole morality thing, that, uh, that can go by the wayside. And as we talked about with Matthew a little bit, but I want to expand on it, the idea that as we get closer to these uh, renegotiations of the TV deals between the Power Five conferences and uh, the ESPNs of the world and the Fox Sports of the world, I'm telling you, I am not going to be shocked that the money actually goes down based on what these TV companies want to spend because they are seeing cord cutters left and right affecting them and having a direct implication on them and their business. So if ESPN doesn't step to the plate and say, yeah, you know what, we'll pay the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the ACC tens, if not, you know, when you throw it all together, hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Sure, we'll do that. I don't know if ESPN is going to be in a place to do it. Now, maybe somebody like an Amazon or a Netflix or a Facebook dives in by 2023, 2024 and can implement and can produce that kind of a network where they are now big time players in the media game, specifically the sports media game. That may come to fruition, but it also may not. And if it doesn't, and if the market is not there, and these schools in the Power Five conferences are used to bringing in anywhere from 30 to 40 million bucks a year, well, guess what? They're going to find a way to make that money back. And if that means selling their advertising to Caesars Casino or whoever it might be, Treasure Island or whatever the uh, local gaming place is in the state of Oklahoma or Texas, whatever it wants to be. Uh, Windstar, right? That's one of the big ones in Oklahoma. I'm trying to think of the other one down in Norman. What is it? Nor- it's going to come to me. It's going to come to me. Riverwind. Riverwind Casino. I've been there before when I lived out in uh, Woodward. Riverwind Casino, a nice little spot. If they want to pony up big time bucks to be the uh, official sponsor of the Sooners or the Oklahoma State Cowboys, better believe it's going to happen. And yeah, it does make me feel uneasy, but since I am for this gambling bill going through and being overturned by the Supreme Court, the 1992 law that uh, basically blocked the majority of states from implementing their own sports gaming plan, then this is what we're going to have to deal with. You know, I can't, uh, I can't have it all. And when I looked at this Supreme Court bill and I, I was glad they overturned it by a 7-2 margin, I said, this is great. It's great for multiple reasons. First off, you're going to have now tax money flowing in to these states that they didn't previously have. Now, if they don't fix their spending problem, it's really not going to matter. Because so many of these states are seeing the revenue, but they're just going to be band-aiding their own issues if they don't get their spending in order. So we'll see if they have the stones to do that. Uh, The other big issue here 
that I look at with with what's going on with the new Supreme Court decision to overturn sports gambling is how they implement it. If these states only implement it with the idea that you have to go to a shop or go to a physical place to place your bet, they are going to lose out on millions of dollars in revenues because you're still going to have the under 40 crowd that's going to pop on their phone, place a bet offshore, and move on with their lives. That's what's going to happen. They have to create a way to do this on your phone and easily on your phone. Because without that, it is not going to happen, and it is not going to generate the kind of revenue that these states are hoping that it will. It doesn't matter where you are. The quicker that you can do it on your phone, the better off you're going to be. And also, you know what else that's going to help? People that want to place in-game bets. Hey, you know what? If West Virginia is leading Oklahoma at the half by a field goal, and you can take OU minus three for the second half, there's a lot of people that are going to try to place that bet. And if I have to drive 15, 20 minutes at halftime to go to that physical location to place that bet, not doing it. I'm not doing it. So that's an element of this entire uh, gaming ruling that has to be figured out. Now, of course, the states have to pass it first, and that's its own issue. But there are states like New Jersey that are ready to roll, and they're going to be getting it in. I wouldn't be shocked uh, by the football season here coming up in just uh, three, four months. So it's all good. Uh, Someone asked me if they thought this hurts Las Vegas. I don't think it hurts Las Vegas a ton. I really don't. Uh, You think about what people go to Las Vegas to do. It's not just a sports bet. You know, if if you're that big of a derelict that you're going to Las Vegas to sports bet, you got a problem. (laughs) You know, you're going for, yes, the casino experience, the shows, the weather, the pools, all that stuff. Sports gambling is part of the experience, but I don't think sports gambling is the experience. Unless you're maybe in L.A. and there's a big Mayweather fight that weekend, then you make the two-and-a-half, three-hour drive. But for the rest of us that aren't living in L.A. or Southern Nevada or Southern California, you don't go to Vegas to simply place a sports bet. You don't do it. So I think this is very exciting stuff for um, sports gamblers. And, hey, you know, we have our picks every year. We struggled down the stretch last year. Get off to a hot start. I went ice cold down the stretch. I'll wholeheartedly admit that. But I'm looking forward to bringing those picks back, sharing them with you guys, and being able to have an open, fun, and very legal discussion about it. I think it's great. And we are already accepting sponsors for our picks. Just got to email me, PeteMundo at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. It's all good. It's going to be great. So so the guy that wants to live in 1935 and say, oh, gambling, it's not good for the soul, you know, come on. It's 2018. We're over that. We're past that. And if you're going to give me the argument that gambling is not good for society because some people can get addicted to it, I agree they can. But then why are you going to sit there and tell me, well, I got to have alcohol, got to legalize alcohol. There's plenty of people, millions of people that are affected by that year in, year out. So you got to spare me the hypocrisy on some of this stuff that I get from some of you guys. I'm glad this is legal or could be legal, depending on which state you're in. And uh, I think it's also going to be interesting to see if states come together on this. Does Texas and Oklahoma come together and have the same rules and regulations, or do they have totally different sets of rules and regulations? That is going to be a story to watch as well. And if you go over state lines, how are you affected as a gambler? There's a lot there to watch, and a lot of it's going to unfold over the coming months and probably a couple of years as, as states slowly 
begin implementing sports gambling on different levels. Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Always appreciate you guys being a part of the show. Coming up next, we wrap it up with a couple of uh, interesting tidbits. So let me just say, might surprise you just a tad. We'll get to it right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Kick the dust up. A few more notes to hit on here as we wrap up the show over the final few minutes. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly. Always appreciate you guys joining us. I had somebody uh, complain to me about this on Twitter, and I wanted to bring it up. The fact that uh, the only way you can get yourself into the Texas-USC game is to buy season tickets. Now, some people are like, well, that's not fair. That's ridiculous. The, you know, I got to be a season ticket holder the, to guarantee myself the USC game. Hey, man, that's supply and demand. I don't know what you want me to tell you. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. If Texas can get away with it, they will because the marketplace is going to allow it. That came uh, from Danny Davis at the Austin American Statesman earlier this week, and it was a note that said, hey, the only way to guarantee tickets for the USC game, the only way they're available is with a season ticket purchase. Now, Texas plays USC September 15th. Of course, the two teams hooked up last year in Southern Cal, and now they're playing this year uh, in Austin. So it's, it's going to be one of the most highly anticipated games of the non-conference, not because either team is a national championship contender. You know, uh, you have USC losing Sam Darnold. You have Texas still having to prove itself and rebuild. But it's probably two of the top uh, seven or eight brands in college football. Let's think this through. Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas, Michigan, USC, Notre Dame, seven. Is that fair? It sounds about right as I'm thinking off the top of my head. The best brands in college football. Maybe I'm missing somebody, but that feels about right as I uh, as I think it through. No, Clemson's not there yet. The Clemson Tigers are not there yet. They're in a great spot under Dabo Sweeney. But in terms of all-time uh, brands in college football, Clemson's not one of them. Florida State is not one of them. Big Ten's got two. Pac-12 has, uh, UCLA is no longer one of them. USC is, uh, Big 12 has two, Big 10 has two, SEC has, I would say the SEC, now that I think about it, only has one great brand in college football, and that is the Alabama Crimson Tide. You can argue Florida, I I could go with the Gators, but that's about it. Georgia, not an all-time brand. Getting there, but not there yet. Uh, I'd say Florida and Alabama, kind of the top two. Tennessee, I mean, Tennessee hasn't done anything in 20 years. How do you put them in that in that discussion? So, no. Anyway, you got these two all-time great brands playing each other, and Texas says, sorry, you got to purchase a season ticket package. I have no problem with it. It's not fair, but guess what? That's what you get when you have a high-demand uh, program and you have a high-demand ticket. So, sorry, but that's, that's the reality of the situation. Um, also here... Something to keep an eye on is what's going on with West Virginia and the fact that they continue to add really good transfer players and it's not getting a whole lot of publicity. It's not. 
and they're on a verge potentially of adding one more. Notre Dame grad transfer quarterback Nick Watkins is considering West Virginia and TCU. That's from Adam Rittenberg at ESPN. He's hoping to be a grad transfer, uh, decide his next school by January 1st. He's taken an official visit to West Virginia this week, plans to take unofficials to TCU, SMU, and Houston after he graduates and gets home to Texas. Now, uh, he's a guy who's had to fight through injuries, broke his arm in 2016. This past year, 29 tackles, 22 solo, broke up eight passes, picked off one pass. He was a four-star recruit at a Bishop Dunn High School in Dallas, Texas, number 17 cornerback in the country in the class of 2014. A solid player. And any of these programs could use him. But if you think about what West Virginia is quietly doing, they got Denzel Fisher, a UCLA grad transfer at the cornerback position. And they've added a couple of different guys as well. Jabril Robinson is in the mix. Six foot two, 270 defensive lineman. They've quietly and quickly put together a nice group for Tony Gibson to go into a season where this team's got to win. And they got to win big. I, Dana Holgerson doesn't win 10 games this year. You know, he's perfect. I think West Virginia is the kind of program where if you win, I don't want to say seven. If you, if you, if you go eight and four every year, and you have the occasional season once every five years where you can compete for a Big 12 title. I think that's pretty solid in a place like Morgantown, West Virginia. I, I do. Not a ton of talent in your backyard. Um, you're competing against top-tier programs. You want to recruit Texas because you're in the Big 12, but it's still a ways away. It's difficult. But there is pressure on Dana Holgerson this year to, to get over that hump. I know he won 10 games two years ago, but really compete at the top of the conference. I think he needs that. And this is the year to do it. You know, you look at the Big 12, and, and Dana Holgerson has the best quarterback in the conference, bar none. You know, two years ago, he won 10 games, and there was talks that, you know, could West Virginia upset the Big 12 heading into November? But let's be honest. Oh, you had Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma State had Mason Rudolph. You were playing with Skylar Howard. Uh, no disrespect to Skylar Howard, but disrespect to Skylar Howard. Not a top-tier quarterback was never going to be a guy that was going to get you to a college football playoff and maybe win you, uh, God willing, a national championship. He can't do it. Will Greer can do it. You put the right pieces around him, Will Greer is capable of making that happen at West Virginia. The question is, what's around him? We know the offensive weapons are there. But what about the other side of the ball? And it was so bad last year for the Mountaineers. The run defense was horrendous, giving up over 200 rushing yards per game. Passing defense was okay. But boy, they need this kind of infusion. So keep an eye on this. These grad transfers don't get a ton of publicity. But keep an eye on Nick Watkins, Notre Dame quarterback, grad transfer, looking to make his decision soon. And two Big 12 schools, West Virginia and TCU, are in his top four. And probably going to pick one of them because the other two are SMU and Houston. And they're they're fine, but they're not Power 5 or Big 12 programs. So it'll be fun to watch him and what happens here over the next couple of weeks with Nick, Nick Watkins, the Notre Dame cornerback. Uh, Oklahoma State, I know that they have a, a quarterback race going on. I get it. I understand that. 
But I firmly believe that this program wants true freshman Spencer Sanders to come in there and win the job this summer. He was not in spring camp, four-star prospect at uh, Ryan High School in Denton, Texas. Gatorade Texas Player of the Year, Dave Campbell's Mr. Texas Football senior season. Big-time talent, dual-threat guy, threw for 3,800 yards last season, ran for 1,300, scored 70 total touchdowns. Ridiculous kind of production out of Spencer Sanders. And with Mason Rudolph gone, I know that they have now a competent grad transfer in Drew Brown, but I firmly believe that Mike Gundy wants to start Spencer Sanders. He has alluded to the fact that uh, he won't be afraid to start a true freshman, something that he has done in the past. But Sanders, in an interview with our good buddy Kyle Porter over at Pistols Firing Blog, uh, Oklahoma State website, Sanders said, quote, I don't want to go there and say, hey, I'm going to get this starting job. No, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to work in silence. I appreciate all the, I guess you can say fans or whatever, people who support me and think that I'm going to get it and assume that I'm going to get it. I thank them for that. Now, that's a mature, uh, humble response from Spencer Sanders, and I respect the hell out of him for saying that. But at the same time, it's not just the fan base that wants him to win it. Drew Brown might be a nice fallback option, the Hawaii grad transfer. But I, in my heart of heart, believe that, yes, Mike Gundy, Mike Yurisich, the offensive coordinator, they want Spencer Sanders to go in there and to dominate this summer, pick up the playbook easily, and win the starting job. That's what they're hoping for. And they can spin in any other, any other way as if to say, well, you know, let's wait and see. Let's try to understand what's going on here. Let's see how it plays out. You know, we're pulling for Spencer, but we don't want to force it. Deep down, Mike Gundy's like, oh, boy. I hope this Spencer kid's all he's hopped up to be. <laughs> so that's, that's something that uh, we should all keep an eye on. That's going to be one of the couple of quarterback races in the Big 12. You got that. You got Texas Tech. Uh, you know, Baylor's obviously set. Texas as well. Uh, who else is a quarterback battle in the Big 12? Kansas State's got a great quarterback battle. And we've got four quarterback battles that we're going to TCU. Well, it's going to be Sean Robinson. Uh, TCU, no, we're not going to include them. So let's say K-State, Oklahoma State, Texas, Texas Tech. You got nearly half the conference with a quarterback battle. That's pretty darn good. It's a lot more than you can ask for. Thanks so much, as always, for joining us, guys. Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com, our Big 12 site. You are the best for following us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all over. Appreciate you guys being a part of the show. And also, be sure to join us next week, same time, same place, right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. 2,000 country stations, yeah, we're one big country nation now.